Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in today's episode, we are talking to Sarah Vaughn. This interview was done at the California International Marathon Expo a mere 24 hours before Sarah's marathon debut. As you'll hear when we start this interview, she is one of the best runners in the country at a variety of distances, and this was her first attempt at the marathon, and oh boy, was it a good one. Not only did Sarah do well, not only did she break her goal of running sub-230, which was an audacious goal right from the start, she set the course record in this race, 226, one of the fastest marathon debuts in American history. What, what, what can't this woman do? Seriously, what can't she do? She's amazing. She's a, she is a superhero, and I was just so delighted to get a chance to speak with her. So let's get into this interview with Sarah Vaughn. Hello, folks, and welcome to the California International Marathon. This is so exciting, and less than what? 14, 15 hours, the race will begin. All of you will be doing amazing things out in Folsom on the way to Sacramento. That will be a great day. In addition to that, I'll be joining you out on the run. Far ahead of me during that race is the woman to my right, Sarah Vaughn, one of the best runners in the country at a variety of distances, trying her hand at the marathon. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So, and please correct me if I got these wrong. You have a 1,500-meter PR of 404. Yes. And mile PR of 427. Yes. You were on the 2017 U.S. World Championship team on the track. What are you doing here at a marathon? I'm, I'm looking for advice. Look at those people. They have their feet up. Should I have my feet up right now? You're doing everything wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... Um, I got inspired by some recent performances of some awesome American women, uh, notably Des in Boston and Shalane in New York and a few others. And I just like, I thought it looked like a lot of fun, which uh, I'm hoping I still think that at mile 20 tomorrow. <laughs> so when did the idea of the marathon first start to germinate in your thinking, and maybe it wasn't even this year, but when did it start to percolate as a potential opportunity for you? Yeah, well, the seed was planted with some of those really inspiring performances, for sure. Um, but I did decide to dedicate to the marathon uh, at the end of the track season. I took a couple weeks break, and my hometown put on a half marathon back in Gearing, Nebraska, and I decided to jump in the half and was able to run pretty well at a pace that I would hope would be my marathon pace. So uh, after I had a little taste of it, I, I thought, oh, double the distance, double the fun. <laughs> and I was looking at the fall marathon schedule in the US and um, for being my first one, I wasn't particularly drawn to a major. I don't know that I wanna get chewed up and spit out, you know, going for 220 pace. So this one presented itself, you know, 12 weeks after I started training, which is ideal. I thought it's a little bit of a short buildup, but for me with a, with a background of mileage I had, I thought it was a comfortable amount of time to get ready. So um, the fact that it's a fast course, the fact that the weather is usually always good um, and the timing of it, it just, it just seemed like a perfect opportunity. So when you did that half marathon and you're thinking to yourself, all right, this could be my marathon pace, as someone who hasn't raced a marathon before, how did you start to 
do that kind of internal calculation of where you could potentially fall, and how has that changed in recent weeks as your training has progressed in kind of a, in a different sense than maybe your training uh, worked in the past? So living in Boulder, there's a ton of world-class marathoners that I get to train with on a weekly basis. So doing some long runs with them and hanging with them and even dropping a few of them on a long run here or there, I got, you know, I got kind of excited. And we all play the comparison game when we're training with people. But in this case, it inspired me um, to go for the marathon, being that I could hang and train with some of these other really talented marathoners. Um, the pace in my mind or my goal has changed over the past week. Something that is that really has drawn me to marathon training and uh, and racing is that I've seen these big jumps in fitness that I didn't necessarily get on the track in the last decade. So training for the 1500, if I get a one second or a half a second PR, that's that's a huge deal. But in the last 12 weeks, I've been able to improve my tempo runs or my long run by you know 10 seconds a mile. And, you know, there's these just these big jumps in fitness that I've been gaining, and to me, that's so addictive and exciting. So uh, to be able to like really see the jumps in fitness directly related to the amount of work I put in, that that draws me to it for sure. And what was it like in training not having, I guess, scheduled races during that training that maybe you would have in a track season, right? It's certainly the buildup is different and maybe the payoff in terms of, you know, figuring out like where you're, where you are in terms of progression and maybe trying to have apples to apples comparison points. Yeah, I mean, it's all new. So everything has been I, like I feel kind of novice in a way and that's been such a blessing every workout I do is exciting because I've never done it before and the fact that when you're training for a marathon you don't have to race every other weekend I'm a parent like most people in here and I have a full-time job just like most people in here I'm not just an elite runner who does running full-time so I have to balance my energy with raising four kids and working and training just like probably most people in this room and for me, not having to race every other weekend on the track and be drawn away from my family, I mean, that's such a big uh, commitment. And I love it still, but the draw to marathon training too is that I can train for 12 weeks straight and then I get this big race at the end, which is really exciting, but I get to be at home and not have to worry about traveling so much. That's a great point. So walk us through, again, every parent in here knows that there is no such thing as a typical daily schedule. <laughs> every day can feel can feel like 36 hours sometimes. But what is a typical day or week schedule for you in terms of not only the running and the exercising and the lifting, but the other areas of your life that also are very important? Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working full-time job. So it's nice, my husband is a really supportive partner, um, both in parenting and training. He's also my coach. So that's really helpful. So we have a good split of, of duties. Um, I'm more of a night owl. I like to stay up at night. So a typical morning is he lets me sleep in uh, until seven or so. And he gets the kids up, gets them breakfast, gets them on the bus. I get up at seven. He usually makes me coffee, which is awesome. And then um, I start my training uh, after maybe an hour of emails. I'll, I'll start training at 8.30. Get in a couple of hours for my training and then head back to the office and work and hopefully have a few hours after school to hang with the kids before I'm out for evening showings uh, with clients and then come home and then I put the kids to bed. So I get the kids home from school, dinner, put them to bed, and then I've done the majority of my evening doubles um, after 8 p.m. on the treadmill in my basement. <laughs> my goodness, all right. A lot of PR is going over there with the BQ bell over there. Um, those kids are doing fantastic work. Uh, I, so 
which is as you dive into this training cycle where you know, the, the race that you're doing is significantly longer than the races you've done in the past. How has that affected the length of your training, either per day or just the mileage you're putting in each week? So I've been a high mileage middle distance runner in training for the last couple of years. So the leap hasn't been as big as some might expect. I've been doing 100 mile weeks for a couple of years uh, in the fall and winter, not during the track season. So I've increased that. Like my highest, this buildup was 130. Um, it was a lot. So a 30% increase. But uh, it's just, it's not a huge, huge jump from what I've been doing in the fall. I think I average probably 115 um, for this buildup. So a 15% increase. So with all that being said, how has your, your training changed? If like the mileage wasn't a huge change, what were, I say, if, if there were changes, what were they as you were preparing for such a different kind of race? Well, I have only been on the track one, one workout during this whole buildup. Um, and I think that the intensity when I approach marathon training is a little different. When I go to the track for a 800 or 1500 meter workout, I mean, you have to be firing on all cylinders. You have to be wired up and ready to go. You have to be really focused. And I, I've noticed that with marathon training, if I show up and I feel a little sluggish from the long run from the weekend or the previous workout, I can still put in the work and get it done. Even if I don't feel 100% or, you know, like all systems go, I can still just get it done and, and still be satisfied and okay with that. So yeah, that's been a little bit hard for me to learn because I like feeling fast and ready and on all the time. And I think maybe I've had glimmers of that through this buildup, but most days I don't feel like that. Now, when I think about you as, you know, a, you know the 1500 meter runner, the mile runner, you've done the steeple as well and, and done, done 5Ks in addition to that. Do you, did you try to maintain the same sort of explosive energy that you have at other points in your life as just as an explosive type athlete? Or did you start leaning on more just the, the longer distance efforts and, and really focus on those? Or did you try to kind of have both of them in your arsenal? Some really good advice I got at the beginning of this from um, a world-class marathoner, Benji Durden. He told me, you still are really good at speed work. So keep that in there, but make that fifth on the list of priorities instead of first. So uh, I've touched on speed. We've done like strides after, after some hard workouts or after some easy runs. And that still, still feels okay. Like my body still responds to that really well, but it's just gotten bumped down the list of priorities. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a little bit different. Right. All right. So this past spring leading into the summer, you've been very open. You did a great interview with Kyle Merber on the lap count um, two months ago about how your top end speed just didn't quite come back the way that you had thought it would, and then you had some doubts around that, and then with the trials not going quite the way that you wanted them to, leading into the summer and then into this training cycle, did you have lingering doubts from that? And if so, how did you work through them to be at the point now where you know, you're, you're running very, very well? My choice to do the marathon was less based on thinking that I'm done with the track and more based on I want to do this while I'm still somewhat young and fit and, in, you know, in the prime of my career. I think I still have more to prove on the track. I don't know that 404 will be my PR forever, but if, if it is, I'm okay with that. Um, I think I've got, gotten more peace about that recently. And um, moving to the roads is just, I, like, I get more and more drawn to it the more I dig in. It, living in Boulder, do you run on the roads? Or I feel like Boulder's like a place where you can literally run in any kind of 
potential road slash trail slash dirt road condition? Yeah, I, I say roads. Most of my training is on paths or, or trails. All right, so let's talk about these evening treadmill runs. So many people in this audience and anyone who's listening to this on the podcast later when we publish it next week will be like, okay, there's two things that I don't like to do as a runner. Run at night and run on treadmills. So you're doing them at the same time. What is that adjustment in your life or just getting used to doing that? What are some tips that, you know, that maybe you can express to other people or what's your mindset going into those workouts that make those not just you know, things, something that you dread, but something that you look forward to and get the most out of? Yeah, two things. I think setting a goal, like a big goal, and dedicating to that fully, whatever it takes, is, is the main thing. I knew that I needed to up my mileage. I knew I needed to get those double runs in to get to tomorrow, to the start line, um, knowing that I did everything I could. So that's the first thing, just, you know, putting that goal out there. I announced it as soon as I signed up for this race to have some accountability with, with people that I'm friends with and that I train with. And then on the flip side, it's all about reframing it. Uh, 40 minutes on the treadmill at 8 p.m. Oftentimes, you know, I want to have a glass of wine at 6 p.m. when I put my kids to bed. And I, I usually don't want to do that. But instead, if I think about it as I get 40 minutes in my quiet basement, I get to turn on some Netflix, I get to put on my headphones, and I get some peace and quiet to myself um, and frame it that way, it's usually a little bit more palatable. Gotcha. And when you do those doubles, now this is kind of like getting into the weeds of it, but there's a lot of people in here who obviously care a lot about running and who run very fast times as well. When you're doing those 40 minute doubles, what's the benefit of that workout as opposed to just having say a longer single run earlier in the day? Uh, you know, that's probably a better question for my coach, <laughs> but uh, it's just more mileage. You know, that I'm a fan of a consistent mileage day in and day out. You know, I have I do a 20 mile long run or I'll have a 25 mile day, but the rest of my days are pretty close to that, too. I'm not completely lopsided in my mileage. So uh, just good, consistent mileage every day. Um, it's probably good for your metabolism and, and shaking out a hard workout from that morning. I find those are the most imperative. A double run after a hard workout, I usually feel so much better the next day, uh, getting that blood flow, getting that hard workout out of your legs. I've heard a lot of runners say that exact same thing, that it's almost counterintuitive, that you think, all right, I had a hard workout this morning, I should rest, but that is actually aids in the recovery. Yeah, exactly. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, that's so interesting. All right, so is there a, a time cap that you and your coach decide, like, all right, for single runs, except for maybe the workout days, you know, we don't go past, like, this amount of mileage in the morning or this amount of time in the morning from a cap standpoint? I think we just base it more on whatever we need out of the workout and out of the day. So there have been times where I've had, you know, 20-mile mornings with a, with a long workout, you know, 12 miles of work plus a warm-up and a cool-down. But, yeah, usually 20 would probably be the top end, 17 typically. All right. How has your weightlifting evolved over time? Because this is something that so many runners here that we all know that we need to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not as consistent with it as we need to be. Also, just the kinds of exercises that runners do has evolved since you became a pro runner. So what does your workout plan look like now? I think as a, a person with a job raising a family, sometimes I... Um, I get decision weary. So if I get to the day where I know I need to go lift weights, if I don't have someone telling me exactly what to do, I won't do it. So I hired a new weight coach 
at the beginning of this session, uh, the beginning of this buildup, and he tells me exactly what to do, and I just literally check a little box on my phone. So I meet with him in person once a week, but the other days he just sends me workouts through an app, and I just do what I'm told. And it's actually so refreshing as a mom and someone who makes decisions all day just to be like, do this thing that is in your app, check the box, get it done. It's, it's great. <laughs> all right, so what exercises do you particularly enjoy if you were you know, going to go through and be like, all right, you, I look at the list. All right, these are the ones I really am. Um, I'm pumped to see on there. Yeah, most of it is body weight stuff. You know, nothing that requires a bunch of fancy equipment. Um, being two years postpartum, I, I still have some, like, core stuff that I work on. And I think, you know, all women should pay attention to that. And most of it's just, like, mobility uh, coupled with stability workouts. So, you know, lunging, like, body weight squats. I'm a big fan of the Viper, um, which is, like, a, a weighted tool looks like a log with handles okay. um it's a pretty simple tool that you can have at home but yeah i mean if you can have somebody coaching you through that there's so much resources available to us as runners um with online coaching and, and things like that so yeah i found that really beneficial more to stay healthy than anything else one thing that you touched on with kyle and i know in other um areas where you've had interviews and you've just been very open about a lot of this stuff is that after college that you tried to get in with different running groups and it didn't quite take. Could you walk us through that process and also how you're, you know, trying to work with running groups and then also how it has you know, been a conflict for you just because you have a busy life and you have kids and how running with other people has evolved for you? Because I know that's another topic that so many of us know that it can be helpful, but as dedicated amateur runners with busy lives, as we get older, it can be harder and harder to make time to fit in with groups. And while that can be discouraging, it doesn't have to be the end-all be-all. I think groups have done a good job adapting to people's work lives. And especially like in the sub-elite culture where people do have to have nine to fives, um, they've been more accommodating to that. For me personally, I came out of college and I tried to be nothing but a professional runner for a couple of years um, to, to not much avail. I never got a sponsor. You know, this was 15 years ago. Well, not quite, 13 years ago. And the and the climate for sponsors, uh, sponsoring women with children or who might have another child was a little bit different than it is now. So I got told no at every, every door I tried to knock on. And groups weren't a big fan of that either. So I had several groups say, yeah, we'll, we'll take your husband, we'll coach him, but we won't coach you. So it was, it was tough. But um, as you said, as we are busy working adults, sometimes meeting a pro group was actually more of a conflict for me. Um, there would be events and, and practices that I couldn't make it to, and I constantly felt like I was letting a team down. I joined a group in Boulder after a few years, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was a difficult schedule to be on when all they did was run and didn't have any other obligations. For me to match that schedule was, was tricky. So as an adult, if you can find someone who has the same schedule as you and, and similar goals, even if they're way faster or way slower, if you can meet them for easy runs, if you can just get some company to get through the miles, that's been really helpful for me. One thing that a lot of people struggle with, and I can imagine even a pro runner who lives where you live in Boulder, where it's just chock full of amazing athletes of all different stripes, is the comparison game. And even in the best sense, right? We were just, maybe we're doing it in a way we're just comparing, comparing our, ourselves to people that we know and like and train with. And there can be those moments where it can be discouraging 
even if we're not racing against them. What's it been like for you as someone who not only competes against some of the best runners in the country and the world, but also when you step out the door, you can see them on your training loops and being able to continually stay motivated, come back from, you know, since you've been living, you know, since you know, this, this phase of your life, having three kids, bouncing back after each one of them, and ultimately being remarkably consistent through all of that. I think I, uh, I've just never let myself slide into that comparison game too much. I've always um, been pretty conscious of that. And I also know that my situation is unique. I'm usually, especially on the track, usually the only mom on the start line, usually only the one with a, a job. So I, I give myself grace. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm okay to, to be okay with whatever the results are, even though I've, I've put in the work. And I, of course, have high hopes and, and big goals and want the best for myself. I balance that with just being content with, with the process, with the journey. And marathon training has taught me a lot about that. Like, I've really enjoyed the training to a degree that I, I haven't enjoyed on the track in a couple of years. So it's I, cherishing that, being appreciative of the body I have, of the cool things that I get to do, um, and just kind of flipping the script in your brain. Like, it's, it's a thing we get to do. I, I choose to do this. No one's paying me to be here. No one asked me to be here. I, I signed up, and I showed up, and I'm doing it for me. All right, so the beginning of the marathon cycle. There you go. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of the marathon cycle, how would you describe your opinion of your future in the marathon and how would you describe it now on the cusp of your first marathon? I thought that I could qualify for an Olympic trials on my first marathon. Um, and then they decided to <laughs> lower the standard by quite a few minutes yesterday. But I still think that. And so I guess that's, that's your answer is I was thinking, okay, if I could qualify for the trials on my first one and have that in my back pocket for two years from now, if I didn't want to be on the track or if I wanted to do both. Um, and then now that they've changed the standard, I still think that that's a very feasible goal for me tomorrow. All right. How about in terms of running the marathon semi-consistently moving forward? Is that something that you can see yourself doing or is that something that you're still kind of up in the air about? I'm, I'm still up in the air about it a little bit. I want to see how tomorrow goes, obviously. Um, if it goes extraordinary, then I may have a different answer. My answer for now is I want to go back to the track in the spring. I feel like I have some unfinished business and I, and I miss the track and certain aspects of it. And I think probably next fall you would see me out on the roads again. All right. One thing that we've seen this year, I think part of it is COVID related and part of it is just, it's just how things evolve over time is people like Des branching out, going after the 50K, right? We've seen Grayson Murphy oscillate from the track, doing amazing things on, in mountain races, coming back to the track as well. Just as someone who's in the elite world, who, who runs with these women uh, at various points, can you, do you see it as a potential trend moving forward? Or do you think that's just kind of a, something that's happening in this little period of time and maybe not something that's gonna be sustainable? I think people are becoming more open-minded to it. Um, I distinctly recall a conversation I had in August. Uh, I was at the Prefontaine Classic with a bunch of middle distance runners, and I just like mentioned maybe doing a longer road race in the fall, and they all gasped like audibly, like, oh, you, why would you want to do a marathon? So I don't think it's a trend. <laughs> I don't think it's a trend, but, uh, but I think people are being more open-minded to it. Yeah, because it's interesting because you have all these people who are training in the same places, yeah. right? So many runners in Boulder, so many runners in Flagstaff, and yet specializing in different ways. But as you mentioned, even when you were training for races that were finished in under 10 minutes, 
you are still putting in, you know, the same kind of mileage that marathoners are often putting in. I think that's important to keep in mind that I've been at this for over a decade post-collegiately. It's taken me time to get there. I didn't just start running 100-mile weeks out of college. So, um, yeah, it's, it's evolved over time. And I'm, you know, I mentioned I'm usually the only mom in person with a job on the start line. I'm usually the oldest as well. So uh, it's, it's taken me a few years to get here, and I can own that. Well, you've done an amazing job. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today and good luck tomorrow. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me and thank you, the listeners, for listening all the way to the end. I really and truly appreciate it. Three episodes this week. So you may have heard the panel discussion on Monday. Three people who were trying to break or trying to go sub three at CIM. Michelle Baxter was actually able to do that. And I was so happy for her. Uh, Mike Coe and Alyssa Kalark both ran two awesome races as well. Uh, they might not have reached their goal, but that doesn't diminish the fact that they ran really, really well and really strong. And I'm so happy for all three of them. On Friday, I'll be doing a solo recap episode, kind of part two of what I did last week, which was our preview episode. So I learned plenty of lessons from this buildup and from this race and what I will be doing moving forward. And I'm just excited to share all of that with you in two days. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.